This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are thankful that you are with us. It is a joy for us to begin the day with you. We I'm not sure if anybody actually benefits from the show. I Maybe they do, but we enjoy being in the studio together. Maybe that's an overstatement. I enjoy no. being in the studio with these guys. I'm not sure if the much, feeling is we do. Much, it, mutual. Yeah, yeah, much mutual. It's mutual. So we actually have a lot of, actually probably more fun off the air than we do on the air. <laughs> um, we are so thankful that our producer never records that and plays any of that because several things would more than likely happen. We would not only be off the air permanently. We might be out of our ministry. Yes, <laughs> I think but, Andrew's well, now you're holding just feeding on to rumor that. and speculation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um, however, that really has nothing to do with what we're here for, which yeah. is to bring the gospel to uh, that is meant for life to you over the the radio, and we have been pausing during the the month of December just to think about names and titles of Christ naturally related to the the season of the year Christmas and really hopefully as a service to say we want this time of year that is really about the birth of Jesus Christ to be that for all of us us as pastors you as listeners and um, that we stop and pause well what did Jesus Christ come into the world to do and his names and titles help us with that and so we've been kind of taking this journey, and we, the last little bit of last week, we were in Isaiah chapter 9, and we were looking basically at verses 6 through 6 and 7, but oftentimes going back to the context of Isaiah 9. So does somebody want to just, as we approach a new week, re- reread Isaiah 9, 6 and 7? Yeah, so Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we've been looking at these four couplets. So we've already looked at Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. And today we get to the phrase Everlasting Father. And normally I always start with the question, well, what does this name mean? But maybe today we'll start with the what might be the obvious question of, wait, I thought Jesus was the Son. How can he also be Everlasting Father? So maybe help the listener out by talking about that component and along the way describe what is being meant by everlasting father. 
you know, Isaiah's already prepared us for what seems like a paradox here. He's already told us uh, that a child is born and a son is given. So he's not seeing a contradiction or a tension here himself. You know, and the reason is this is that um, neither this whole idea of son or father is all of what the Messiah is. It's only part of what he does. And this is one of the reasons why it's requiring these four couplets, uh, you know, to explain it, you know, to, he is an everlasting father in, in this, in this sense. He, he's, uh, it's descriptive of his rule. He rules as a father. He, with fatherly care over his people. He's the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. He, you know, he's the one that brings them into the kingdom. Yeah, I think John's the doctrine of Christ in the Gospel of John helps us too. We're uh, in John fourteen. Jesus is discussing with Philip, and Philip says, "I want to see the Father." And Jesus says, "Philip, you've been with me this whole time, and you still don't know." He said, in verse eleven, he says, "Believe uh, me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father." And so we understand Jesus to be the the, the visible representation of the of the Father. If we want to see God, if we want to know God, we can see and know Christ, know Jesus. And I think these uh, these four couplets too. When we we could we could look at them, they they do form kind of what's called a, a, a chiasm. And um, and if you don't know what that is, I think a, a really good illustration that I heard one time that always makes me hungry is that you can think about it as a sandwich. You know, if you think about building a sandwich, you've got bread on either side, and then you've got some stuff on the bread. But really, what's in the center? You got this delicious meat. That's really the whole purpose of putting everything around the meat so you can hold it in your hand and eat it. Anyway, the uh, when you consider the four couplets, you've got wonderful counselor and that kind of parallels Prince of Peace to a certain extent. And so in the middle, you've got this mighty God that we looked at the other day, coupled with everlasting father. Again, this, this proof and this uh, pointing towards the fact that this Christ that's coming isn't just a mere man, but he is God. And um, as you know, Vinny pointed out, Jesus even saying, I and the Father are one, they're two distinct persons in the Godhead, but it's proving the divinity <laughs> of this um, God-man. I also think there's an aspect of Scripture talks about in Psalm 103, 13, that as a father pities his children, so the Lord or Jehovah pities us mm-hmm. and those who fear him. And the word pity is compassion. I mean, it's it, he has mercy, he has compassion on us. And this aspect of, I mean, God's mercy flows to us through Christ and his compassion as a father flows to us through him. And we're told that he will never leave us as orphans. And uh, and in this way, we're talking about his relationship to his people. You know, Jesus functions as a father to to his people. He gives us life. He gives us breath and everything. He cares for us as the father cares for his children. And, and so, and being everlasting, it's not a temporary sort of thing. I think the maybe just the shortest little way to think about this is this is telling us characteristics of the Messiah, not of the relationship within the Trinity. Right. right? So we just have to understand what the intent of Isaiah is. He's not trying to give us a Trinitarian framework. What he's yeah. trying to tell us is this is what the Messiah is like. Mm-hmm. This is how he's manifested himself. And I, there's actually New Testament warrant also for this. If you think about the parable in Luke 15, whether you want to call it the prodigal God or the prodigal son or whatever you want to call it, the father in that parable is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The father's not the father in a Trinitarian sense. I mean, who's the one that shames himself Yeah, in the Trinity? 
it's not the father. It's the son who right. shames. And the father in the par- parable is the one, in order to bring back the prodigal son, he runs. He brings shame upon himself. Well, Trinitarian relationship, the one that brings shame upon himself is the son who goes to Calvary's cross and, and gives of his life mm-hmm. um, and takes on the sins of his people. Um, so it, there is warrant to say that not every time the scripture says father, it's talking about the father of the Trinity. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just describing what the Messiah, mm-hmm. what Jesus Christ is like. And to the prodigal son, for those that maybe aren't, haven't heard that aspect of it, you know, in, in this day and age and Jesus's day and age for a distinguished gentleman to lift up his robes and be able to run. That's would be a humbling thing. So that humiliation that Russell's talking about was seen in the father in that parable, picking up his robes to run to his son and embracing and welcoming home a son that was a son of rebellion that yeah. would have been dirty and filthy and unclean Everything just living with pigs. Living everything that the father does in that parable at the end mm-hmm. is uh, is about bringing shame upon himself. Mm-hmm. Is against everything that he ought to do. That son deserved judgment, and what he got instead was mercy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the work of of Jesus Christ on our behalf. How is this title, everlasting Father? What difference does that make for us as God's people? So you think about Christ's love for us, his love is endless, everlasting, um, so we can enjoy him. We can pursue relationship in the same way we might pursue relationship with our earthly father and enjoy being present with him and and uh, participating uh, in that relationship building. So spending time with Christ, again, through studying and getting to know him and his person through the word, uh, spending time in prayer and uh, just quiet contemplation uh, within that, spending time serving him and, and uh, glorifying him and, and bringing <coughs> Uh, goodness to his name through our obedient lifestyle. I think those are all practical ways we can uh, embrace this title of Christ. And this idea of, you know, the, that father child relationship is there. I mean, there, there's, there's privilege in being the son or daughter of, of someone. I mean, think of, you know, not so much this president, but previous presidents that have had young children in the house, in the white house, you know, there's uh, a young child would be able to maybe, sit in the Oval Office while their father was working at, in, in some instances, not in every case. But the idea is there's, there's privilege in that relationship and the fact that we are his children and we are his sons and daughters and there's a privilege, there's an access that we have to him and the fact that it's everlasting. Like it's, it's, it's not going to end, but he himself is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. Sometimes, sometimes this phrase, um, you know, everlasting father is, is translated father of eternity in the sense that he is the one who possesses eternity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this sense, uh, he's also the one who is granting us eternal life. And so this father of eternity grants us eternal life in our knowledge of him. How, I'm going to just start with a, a statement and you guys can just push back or support it. I don't know. I actually think the doctrine of adoption is not understood and embraced and lived out as fully as it ought to be um, today. Uh, what do you think about that statement? Uh, and what, what what would you say to that? I mean, I think it's. I think you're right. I would agree with that. It's. I think we lose sight of just what it means that God is our Father, and 
by nature the father that we are born with. You know, scripture teaches us that we are by nature children of wrath. We are, uh, Jesus says that to those opposing him, that they are like their, their father, the devil. You know, so, I mean, we are by nature children of the devil. We are in his household. And what God has done through Christ is he's adopted us out of an abusive, oppressive home. And he's brought us into his home. And he has claimed that, you know, he has taken us as his children. And so that idea of being adopted uh, from an abusive, oppressive home to home of love and light in God's household. Yeah, I think it's an accurate observation. I think I've talked about the the inconsistencies or disobedient in a Christian's life is, is like being adopted and welcomed into God's home and then abandoning that to go live out in the street, mm. to reject the Father's table, which is full of the most glorious nutritional food, and to go and, and dine in the dumpster. Um, and I think that part of that is a misunderstanding of the benefits that we have as the adopted sons and, and, and daughters of God the Father. How does uh, well? One last thing on that. On First John three verse one, John writes, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God." And so we are. And and there's a sense of wonder and amazement, like mm-hmm. how can this be? I'm actually a child of God. And and hopefully each day you wake up that that's one of the realizations that you have when when you start the day where you say. I'm, I live as a child of the king. I mm-hmm. live as a child of the creator of the world. I have access to God because I'm his child. Mm-hmm. Um, and the exclusivity of that promise for those who are in Christ. Yes. Right? That's the only way you access those benefits. It, it is not a title that should be applied to non-believers. It's only those who are in Christ who receive that title of adopted children of God. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where we're going to have to to stop for today. It's been good to be with you, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.